DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way. You're listening to the High Octane Leadership Podcast with Donald Thompson. The world is shifting around you. None of us were trained for this changing environment. You need high octane leadership in an empathetic world before your business is swallowed alive. This podcast focuses on actionable, hands-on tools you can use to become a high octane leader today and grow strong leaders throughout your organization to survive tomorrow. Join me along with global C-suite leaders, rising stars, ambitious entrepreneurs, and other leaders from across industries as we dissect, interrogate, and redefine high-octane leadership in an empathetic world. This podcast is your home for uncovering the tools, lessons, and strategies you need to push your leadership to the next level. Hi, my name is Donald Thompson. I am here with another episode of High Octane Leadership, and I am very excited to share some space today with uh, Billy Warden. And Billy is a marketing executive and political consultant. Billy, welcome to the show. DT, can I call you DT? You sure can. (laughs) I love that. Thank you for having me. And congratulations on all your success um, with what we're doing here today, with your book, with, I mean, you are such an impressive fellow. I'm so excited to be here. Well, it it is shared both ways. And one of the things as we jump in, because I've been really looking forward to this, I've been watching you more closely as of late uh, on the different television shows that you're on here locally and, and really nationally, talking about the political environment that we're facing. And one of the things that I'd love to get into as we get into midterms, as we've got another presidential election coming in, I'll start with this. Politics, by and large, is really pretty divisive right now. And it seems like to me as kind of someone that's not really in the political spectrum, it's like a verbal food fight all the time. So here's my initial question as we think about it. With the polarization of politics, how do we allow ourselves to still have a constructive conversation in these dialogues and not make everything so attacking? What are you seeing that maybe could help us have some better discourse? 
It, well, it's a huge question, right? Sure. And it's a question <laughs> everybody is talking about. One observation I would make is that uh, there was a recent poll that NBC was involved in that found that 80% of folks who identify as uh, Democrats see Republicans as being out of control and a threat to democracy. And 80% of Republicans see Democrats as being out of control and a, a threat to democracy. Point being that both sides see themselves as playing defense. So both sides, to your analogy of the food fight, both sides think like the, they were just sitting having lunch, enjoying a nice time at the cafe, and the other side got up and, and started throwing, you know, muffins and iced tea at them. So when you think about it that way, that the person that you don't agree with doesn't see him or herself as being on the attack, but feels attacked. Mm -hmm then perhaps that is, keeping that in mind is a prompt to step back and think, what am I bringing to this food fight? Am, am I the person who's, act, who's, you know, reaching down into the bean dip and hurling it across the room? <laughs> you know, is that how I'm coming across? Because, you, you know, in, in anything in life, relationships or whatever, yeah. you can only be responsible for yourself and your conduct and how much you want, how much empathy you want to give and how much you want to listen. I, I think that is um, personal responsibility for making it better. Right. And, and I appreciate that, that very much. One of the things that we do at the diversity movement, and when folks talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, right, a lot of times people that don't understand the space will think uh, quotas or they'll think uh, things that are lowering standards when really what we're trying to do is create a better workplace. But I will say that one of the things that occurred, and, and, and I believe you'll remember this, President Trump at the time, President of the United States, had an executive order that outlawed DEI or put a stop to it in any federally supported agencies, mm -hmm. right? And when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion in the way that it is presented, it's not about creating a better workplace. It's not about equity, right, which is basically creating some reasonable accommodations for folks that are maybe blind, low vision or different things. It is seen as something that is this woke narrative, right, of people having something for nothing, different things like that. How can one create different narratives that people of an imposing view might more easily understand? Because you're both a political consultant and a marketing consultant. So I'm interested in your ideas of how we can better access minds of folks in a way that people can understand new messaging? That's such a great question. It's so fascinating. And it's a big part of what I love about my job is trying to get into the mindset of whoever you're trying to convince. It's also just a great human exercise in terms of opening up and enjoying the beauty of humanity. Sure. Is getting to, to, to try to understand the other person's frame so we talk about frames all the time. Uh, and when we're, we're doing issues work, we're, we're working on, uh, say, Medicaid expansion right now, yeah. uh, have worked on juvenile jurisdiction issues. You th think about different frames. And so one of the, like, say, really kind of fundamental frames is this idea that folks who tend to be uh, Democrats are 
are caring mothers. They're in a caring mother frame of mind. And that folks who tend to be Republicans are in a stern father frame of mind. I really like that way of thinking because it boils things down to to things most people understand. Most people grew up with a with a mother and a father. Mother and fathers have traditionally anyway played certain roles in the sure. families. So you can get you can you can start to call on your own experience and then well, well how how would I talk to my dad if I was trying to convince my dad as an 18 year old that that he ought to agree with me on issue? And how would I appeal to my mom if I was an 18 year old trying to figure things out? How would I appeal to them? And so when we write op-eds and things, that translates tactically to different pitches using kind of different phrases and, and different priorities. So, you know, we'll talk about the fiscal sense of an issue if we're talking to the, the stern fathers out there. Yeah, um, and then that allows you then to get into specific examples that could be useful. And that's what we're always looking to do is how can I provide information that is make a case for something in a way that's useful to the other person and doesn't meet right away with their different kinds of resistance. So everybody, we all have, we're all kind of cognitive misers. Like, you know, we don't have a lot of bandwidth in our heads for like new information or, uh, and so, so if you can appeal to what someone's worldview already is, make the argument through specific examples, you can really start to move the needle. And I talked, I mentioned Medicaid expansion, and I hope you don't mind if I stick on a specific No, issue. no, please, I'm interested. So, you know, North Carolina is one of the states in where I live in, and is one of the states in the union that has not expanded Medicaid. Most states have expanded Medicaid. It has been an uphill battle to try to make that happen because some people look at the issue and they see it as um, you know, a handout. So, well, then how do you make the case that, well, it's not a handout? Well, you talk about the real people out there who are, God, they're working two jobs and they just have me working two jobs where the employer doesn't offer insurance. And by the way, that's a lot of fields of work where they don't, where the, your employer doesn't offer insurance. And let me tell you this person's name and let me tell you how this person grew up and what this person has worked so hard to achieve and isn't covered by insurance, and that has the barricade to this person continuing to achieve. So you set you, you introduce the opponent of the idea to a person who they can establish some respect for, who they can e even start to like, and you know, just seeing all this perhaps on paper in terms of a story we're telling in a newspaper or a story we're telling via a pamphlet. And that has what is what really has helped move the needle quite a bit. He's in the you know North Carolina Senate now has fully embraced Medicaid expansion, and the House has embraced the idea, and now they have to work out terms with the governor. But that has been a huge shift, and it's been all about talking about the specifics of the situation, uh, not stereotypes, but here's real people, and and here's how this real thing that you could do. Uh, could help them and, by the way, help you and help the community. I imagine you do the same thing with the DI, uh, DEI initiatives that you talked about where, yeah, they come in, they come in freighted with a lot of preconceived notions. 
But when you just stop and slow down the story and are able to talk in specifics, then they start to make a lot of sense. Mm. The part I really, like all of that good stuff, the part that I want to resonate with our audience and that I want to remember personally is that story that moves it from a stereotype mm. to a real person. Yeah. It's hard to vilify that real person that you connect with, somebody who's working two jobs, taking care of their family, right? Not in any kind of trouble with their legal system or anything like that, contributing to society, wants to make a better way for their kids, be educated. Now, everybody's for that person. Right. And that's different than are you for or against Medicaid? Yeah, that's a great that's a great way to put it. And and on the flip side of that, I want to say that the folks who we've been talking to in policy positions, making the case to for, I mean, they're good people, right? They're they're thinking about things as we have a finite set of resources. This is this money that uh, would go into Medicaid expansion isn't just hanging out there, you know, just out this and be gathered, be raked up like the leaves we're all enjoying falling right now. And I'm, I'm doing my job in trying to protect taxpayers. And so, uh, you know, they're coming at it from uh, a place of virtue and from, you know, their point of view. And, and sure. you take that sincerely and work with that. Like, well, you know, here, here's how the math would actually work out. And here's the number of jobs that could get created. And, and here's the benefits to urban communities and rural communities. And if you get, can get all those facts on the table uh, and have a reasonable discussion, then we've been lucky that things have been moving in what I think is the right direction. But just having the discussion is of value and, and feeling like you've had a, a fair hearing is of value. And it, that's a two-way street. Yep. No, that's really good. I, I really appreciate that. When you think about politics in the workplace, mm. right, and that, you know, there's so many macro events, we're all kind of tied to these phones and devices and different things. So the world is moving and happening real time. It's only going to get more aggressive as the midterms come up, as our politics come up. How would you advise employers and business leaders to make sure that people are focused on the work at hand for sure, but... What do we do as leaders when politics bleeds into how we work and live every day? Have you seen, do you have any advice for leaders on that? Isn't that fascinating? And um, and I, when I came in and, and met some of your colleagues, they were talking about that this is one of the big questions that they're getting, especially like, as you say, right now, as things are really heating up. I come at it from the background of having been a journalist and a newspaper reporter at the News Observer, which is the... Uh, daily newspaper in the state capital of Raleigh, North Carolina. So, and Raleigh's a political town there. So it was politics in the workplace all the time. Sure. Um, not necessarily because the paper was going to, the paper did take positions on in their editorial page. And then a lot of what we covered, of course, was about, was about politicians and political matters. And as journalists, we had to do that in a way that was fair and impartial. So my experience with politics, it was always baked into my professional life. Sure. But more broadly, the American tradition in, in the 20th century, that long ago century, <laughs> was, you know, for corporations to sort of sit it out and, you know, we're, we're not political. We're about turning a profit. We're about doing well for our stakeholders and, and providing career paths for our employees and not to mention 
quality products and services. That right there is a lot on your plate. The idea now that your employees come to work upset or mm-hmm. in concerned, keenly concerned about politics. And then that becomes a company issue or a matter of concern to company leaders. It's a complete about face for what the tradition has been. Yep. And a lot of company leaders today come out of the tradition of, you know, we're we're on the sidelines of what you want to do with your time and your treasure is your business outside of the office. Just like we're not going to ask you about what goes on behind your bedroom door or whatever. It's not, it's not our business. Our business is business. And, and it's, it's really hard for companies now that according to polling, especially Gen Z wants Mm -hmm. their brands to take a stand. So when you called, I was super excited about it. I jumped into the latest polls and what I found was Forbes, 64% uh, of folks they surveyed want their, expect their favorite brands to take a, to take a political stand. And and by the way, one that they, they agree with. Uh, Right. I don't want to take a stand. (laughs) Right, right. right. 73% would take action against the company. You know, like they would, and that can mean everything from, I'm going to organize a big boycott to, I'm going to tell my friends um, not to buy your product anymore. Um, So folks, want to see these companies come in and be players. Now, the polling on how folks feel inside companies, I found what I found was different. CNBC recently did a poll that 32% of workers say Mm. they support their companies speaking out, whether they agree or not, which is like, which was I thought was really interesting, whether whether or not they agree, but that's 32%. And that 21% agree with their companies speaking out on issues but only if they are aligned with, with that point of view. But that leaves a lot of people who are, are not particularly interested in their company getting super involved uh, in politics. And it seems like for some people out there, they would still like to go someplace and get away from the the fights they see on mm. what TV and radio they can listen to when they're not working or what happens around their kitchen tables. But that still leaves a good chunk of folks who are super concerned about politics. But just to kind of put it in context about about the what's going on out there. I mean, 20%, 30% still. A significant number. And then the other thing number. that you said that I want to expand on is it probably would be even higher when you look at the generations. Yeah, right. The, the the Gen Z employees are highly emotive, highly focused on brands they identify with, both that they want to work for and that they want to buy from. Yeah. And, and that is really moving the needle. And one of the things that we found that leaders are struggling with is that balance between empathy and economics mm. and how to really think about the whole person at work. Like, what's my role right. in my employee's life Yeah. versus just what's my role in that employee's professional life. Mm -hmm. Right. And there's a real struggle. There's not a real answer, but there is a heightened expectation. Right. And that's what's interesting. Executives are expected to behave at a certain level, but there's no blueprint. There's no playbook. Yeah. And and a political conversation is never going to follow a playbook. You know, like they can become so heated. uh, They can become (laughs) so emotional. 
it's it's hard to train for. I imagine as somebody who mm-hmm. does 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 trainings and seminars and things, it's really hard. Um, I know some companies do role playing where they'll they will as a management team work on their communication skills and and how to deal with uh, somebody who who wants to talk politics and and is interested in answers and is interested in action and how to have a conversation that doesn't mean that you're going to agree with everything they say yep. and it doesn't mean that you're going to try to shut them down but attempts to find some kind of of way for that person to con- continue to contribute at his That's or right. her talents which obviously you cared about because you brought them in but doesn't commit the company to something that the company can't follow through on. Yeah. So important for companies, I think, to, as part of their strategic plan and as part of what they share with employees, to talk about what their themes are in terms of community engagement and how their themes or their lanes of community engagement uh, match up to the company's overall goals. Gotcha. Right. So see a lot of tech companies that get involved in digital inclusion, for example. That's a good match. It makes sense. It's within the company's uh, expertise to Mm -hmm. be able to do that. It gives the company and its marketing folks um, a lane in which to uh, enter public discussions. It doesn't preclude them from getting involved in fast-breaking political issues if they feel it's important, but it does create it creates some consistency and some kind of uh, guides for folks like managers, like outward-facing marketing people, uh, and, and for just all the employees. Like, I've come to this company, this and I want to work here for these reasons, maybe because the pay is really great or maybe because the pay is really great and the people are really great or whatever reasons. And I know when I sign on that here's what, here's how the company wants to make the world a better place. And that's what I can expect. And if I, if I want more or less of that, that's okay to have that conversation, but it's been made clear to me that that would be outside of the norm that the company's established. Let's take a quick break. As a black professional, I faced many challenges inherent to contemporary America. I had to fight to secure my place and fulfill my dreams. Underestimated, a CEO's unlikely path to success is my story. Whether you are a young person of color, a rising leader in your organization, or someone who may feel a little bit lost, there is a path forward that is built on grit, determination, perseverance, and drive. I've dedicated my career to developing my leadership skills and then coaching others towards success. And underestimated, you can follow my unique path, uncovering business and life lessons that can help anyone realize their dreams. You can order underestimated wherever books are sold and find more information at donaldthompson.com. Now, back to the show. So I, th- I think that those norms are super important. I came, and when I continued working outside of journalism, you know, I became a, decided to become an entrepreneur about the time 15, 18 years ago when it, the culture of workplaces got 
really into like, we're not only going to be the place where you come and work, we're going to be your life source. That's yeah, true. Sure. Like, you know, it got, <laughs> and like, I was just like, not for me personally, that just didn't, I was not so interested in that. Like, no, really, I really do. I really do want to work hard for you. And I like the work, but you know, I don't need you to like to, to be with me at all times. And I don't want to lean on you for like emotional support or things. Now, I, and I know that makes me different probably than a lot of the folks in the in the current generation coming sure. into work. I just did a column where I interviewed a kid, kid 28. I apologize for using the term kid, uh, sure, but I, I mean it as a compliment. Yeah, yeah, you sure. know? But, so a young person around 28 who became a digital nomad during the pandemic, he traveled the world while doing tech sales. And he wrote so beautifully about what he learned, one of which was, you know, I I learned how to ski, became like a, you know, extreme skier. And I worked so hard at it and my legs hurt all the time. My shoulders hurt all the time. I was frostbitten and I worked that hard and I got no money out of it whatsoever. I worked that hard because it was so satisfying to me personally and it connected me to the world and it connected me to things inside of myself. And now I wanna take that back and find that in a career. Now, wow, yeah. <laughs> that is a lot to put on any job. <laughs> LLC or corporation or whatever out there, right? But um, that kind of passion is amazing, right? And probably you as a as a CEO and as an entrepreneur, entrepreneur be like, oh God, yeah, I want that passion. I want to try to get a hold of some of that passion because that person can do amazing things for the for the organization. But then you're you're you know you're also getting all of that all that energy and all that expectation. So it's it's really hard. Yeah, no, I appreciate it very much. You know, one of the things you mentioned was uh, your career in journalism, and then you mentioned, you know, building stories that are fair and balanced. Mm. The trust in our media sources has gone down over the years. And because there's so much, in my opinion, there's so much noise in the in the ether, if you will. What are some of the things you've done that you expect of folks in the media to keep things that are reporting the news, that are sharing a narrative, that everything's not an opinion piece, which sometimes mm -hmm. it, what are some of the things you think we can do better uh, as we're communicating information? And that's whether it's politics or current events or, or what have you. God, it's, it's such a fraught question um, because, you know, the way I was trained and the way and the style that's come under such critique and lately is that you get, you get input from both sides and that you present both sides. And lately the critique has been, but but not both sides are telling the truth or they're not telling the truth in equal measure or, um, you know, you have to play some role in fact-checking. So, you know, I think that the fact-checking part of it uh, is important and taking the time to put things in context. But DT, putting things in context takes time. Mm -hmm. And so the countervailing trend is we'd like to see everything in a list. You know, could you give us a three minute read um, that's not a narrative that's mostly bullets? So, <laughs> you know, so 140 characters. <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. So so there's these countervailing uh, forces out there on the media that I think makes their job really hard. I was doing, I did a recent commentary about truth and advertising and politics and people's frustration with it and the fact mm -hmm. that could you somehow regulate free 
free speech when it comes to politics, even though it's probably the primary concern of the Constitution. Um, how, how would you regulate that? And, and these laws that are on in different states, there's 27 states that have some laws about regulating political speech. They're always uh, being uh, undercut by court's decisions that know they violate the, the First Amendment. So it's super difficult. The reason I bring it up is because factchecker.org put it best when they said, you know, in democracy, you're the fact checker. Mm. Democracy is, is hard work and you're the fact checker. So that means you read something, check the facts. Not only check the facts, check the reporter. You know, what is the reporter's track record like? What's the publication? How did the publication uh, fare in the, in the various websites out there that measure political slants? Now, do you have time to do all that? Probably not, but it's still up to you to your point about personal responsibility. Like democracy is hard work. Politics is hard work. If you want a better political system, it really does start with you. Mm. Like I hear Michael Jackson's man in the mirror on the radio. Mm. And I'm like, this song is so old. And in some ways, probably some people would say it's so cheesy. And it's like, that's still the truest song of all time. <laughs> of all time. It really, democracy really comes down to you. The hard work of politics comes down to you. If you want your company to do something, maybe the companies will, maybe they won't, but you have to make the case in a way that is, is, is persuasive. And what can you, what can you believe out there in the media? There's a lot of, you can believe there's a lot of good people trying really hard to get the story straight and they can't do it by themselves. They need your help to do it. You need you to do some research and for you to prioritize and talk about the sites that you find to be accurate and the most helpful. Well, that's a powerful answer. The last question for me. And I, was it or was I just rambling? No, that's good. I, I, and I enjoy just learning from varied experiences and, I, and the way that you, you storytell is really powerful. The last question I have is moving really away from politics, but generally as a communicator. Right. So a lot of folks that listen to my podcast are business leaders, emerging entrepreneurs, marketing professionals. What are some of the fundamental truths of being an excellent communicator? What would you what are some tips? What are some things you've learned uh, when someone needs to communicate a message of any type? But what are some of those best practices to create that communicating connection with your audience? I can't believe you're asking this question of me like I. I want to know your answer to this. <laughs> My big answer to this is going to be, uh, some people think it's cheesy, but I, I think enthusiasm and a joy at the opportunity to convey an idea or convey information is where the most effective communications starts from. Like that, gosh, I'm going to get asked my opinion. I'm going to be, I'm going to have five minutes or I'm going to have 20 minutes with DT or, or whatever it is. I'm going to have this moment where I'm going to get to talk about mm -hmm. something that matters to me. I'm going to get to share experience. That's just, that's wonderful. The human interaction between asking and then conveying and receiving information is just such a, a miracle to go at it, to go at any opportunity like that. Like this is, this is fantastic. I want to make the very most of it. Yep. I want to believe in everything that I say. And 
I want to make an impact on the person that I'm talking to, that's going to influence how you prepare, which is, of course, super important. What do you want to convey and what points are you going to use to convey that to go back to earlier in the conversation, talking about frames, knowing who your audience is. But then in a way that's not calculated at all, just the way you present like is so important to come across with that authenticity because yeah. people will see right away this person has some spark doesn't have to be like super energetic or bubbly necessarily but this person is excited about the idea that he or she's talking about this person's excited about his or her life about his or her job about his or her cause mm -hmm. and we are hardwired as human beings to tune into that so that's my answer as a as a communications person is to feel it. I think uh, you know you mentioned a, a buzzword, but a word that is pretty critical, which is authenticity. Mm -hmm. I think that people can pretty quickly spot someone that's not in it for them, that's yeah. trying to manipulate them. And again, they've got to choose whether that's something they're looking for or not. But I think that. We're all attracted to that communicator that's trying to share something with us for our good. Yeah. And, and I think we can feel that as, as we roll. Um, one of the things that I like to do is I, as I wind out with folks and as we grow our audience and different things, you do a lot of consulting work on the marketing side, writer, different things like that. How can people get in touch with you? Like if they hear this, they hear your voice, they hear your messaging, they're like, you know what? I'd like to hear a little bit about more what Billy's up to and how I can maybe work with him. How could people get in touch with you? Well, thank you for asking. Oh, uh, GBW Strategies is the name of the marketing PR company, GBW Strategies. And then I'm um, billy.warden at gmail.com. So if you want to send me an email, please do. I mean, every politician's out there sending me fundraising emails right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, I, so they can I, get to us. <laughs> <laughs> so I would love to see something that's not like that. So, so, uh, <laughs> <laughs> please do send me uh, an email and uh, uh, please take a look at the company. And I am uh, I do a lot of magazine writing on the side and I'm always looking for interesting stories, often about people so, who are sort of out of the mainstream, uh, unconventional people, oddball characters who have somehow done something that to move the culture uh, or somehow doing something extraordinary um, those are stories that uh, I love to tell. And um, so please hit me up with those those leads as well. Boy, thank you so much for reaching out because I'm a big fan. Yeah, and me to, as well. to get to be here with you right across the table from That's you, right. I've been shooting for this. Yeah, and just chopping it up. And That's one, right. one of the things that, that I enjoy is just spending time sharing space with talented folks. And I've got my, I should have had a notebook, but I got my little sticky notes <laughs> of just things that you've said. And one of the things I remember about you as we talk and as we interact in the community is you always have a big smile. You always have that, that willingness to support and help. When I talked about wanting to talk a little bit about politics, not dig into one issue versus the other, but you immediately came to mind. And the reason, and I want to share this compliment with you is having listened to you over the years, talk about politics on a lot of the shows that I, that I'm able to see. I don't know what your politics are. <laughs> and that means right. that when you're talking about an issue, yeah. you're talking about an issue, the pros and cons of the issue. And personally, I appreciate that. Right. Like it, and, and it doesn't matter because you're giving information that other people can do their homework. 
And I think that is sorely missed uh, in our discourse these days, which are people that were willing to educate on some of the issues versus everybody's trying to influence you at every moment. Yeah. And so I really wanted to share that compliment with you. And, and thank you for spending time and coming to chat with us. You want to do it again tomorrow? Uh, not tomorrow, <laughs> but maybe again. <laughs> it was thank good to you, see DT. you. Great yeah, see this you. is DT and uh, over and out for High Octane Leadership. And one of the things that I will leave you all with just the last message is that winning in life, professionally and personally, we have to make an intentional choice to use what we have at that moment at our disposal to chase the goals and dreams that we have. Uh, none of us, uh, most of us weren't born with a silver spoon and who wants to be born with a spoon in your mouth? Uh, that has to hurt. Um, but the reality is that we have to win with the cards that we're dealt. And, uh, and we wanna be a, a voice of having leaders uh, that can describe and influence us in a positive way to continue that dream chase uh, for one another. So, TT, over and out.